Thank you for joining us. This is Happiness, the Skeptic's Guide with Chartered Psychologist and author Dr. Gary Wood and professional skeptic and self-help abuser Paul Flower. In this episode, we discuss the PR phenomenon Blue Monday, the so-called unhappiest day of the year, as a way to explore the links between truth and well-being and how we use trust as a filter for information. Sunday morning, my head is bad. Was it worth it for the time that I've had? But I got to get my rest because Monday is a mess. Now, depending on when you're listening to this, we're recording it on the cusp of Blue Monday, or releasing it on the cusp of Blue Monday at least. So you'll either be listening to it on Blue Monday itself, or shortly after, or sometime after, and you won't know what the hell we're talking about. But anyway, Blue Monday, I presume it's a thing across the world, and it's not just unique to this country. It's a concept that kind of affects all of us in a certain way. There's a there's a theory behind Blue Monday, which is, it's called Blue Monday, supposedly the saddest and most depressing day of the year, because A, it's a Monday, and nobody likes those, apparently, and B, it's the midpoint between Christmas and when you get paid in January, and because you traditionally, if you, you get monthly pay, you get paid just before Christmas, and then you have to wait a very long time. You've got a five-week month in January, essentially. So you're waiting six weeks to get paid again. So you're poor and you're, you're having to go to work in the dark and the cold if you live in the Northern Hemisphere. And so Blue Monday was born. But there's, uh, one of us has a very special relationship with uh, Blue Monday itself, don't they, Gary? I do indeed, yes. I, I claim to be, and I have the receipts and the evidence to prove it, that I was the first person to be offered the Blue Monday equation. It was from a PR company, and the email came through, and it had the equation, not exactly in its current form, but pretty much. And I looked at it, and exactly as you've said, the, the most important factor in the equation is the number of days between paydays. It's always going to be January. So it's not a real equation. All the, uh, all the other things are just window dressing. And I said this to them and I said, I tend to do things that are based on, you know, real psychology, not made up psychology. And I actually. So essentially, a PR firm had come to you looking for a, a, a psychologist to back up this theory. Yes. So they already had the theory. Yep, already had the theory. Anyway, they did tend to rub me up the wrong way as well because I, I did say. Never a good idea. Well, I mentioned there's, there's, there is a famous psychologist and she will front anything. And I said, have you tried her? She'll, and they went, yes, but we don't want a woman for it. We want a man because men are better at maths. Now, now my background, my background's in gender stereotypes. So that was red rag to a ball. Anyway, they didn't take my advice, and then they went and found another male psychologist who would put the name to it. Now, since then, it's a bit like the Stonewall riots. Everybody was there, apparently. And and so there have been lots and lots of people now have claimed to have rejected it. But like I say, I have the receipts. So the, the impact, and the one that we're really keen to discuss, um, harks back to my favourite uh, chapter in your book, uh, your recent small novella, um, <laughs> yes, the psychology of happiness, and um, it's about really how. Oh, what I wish I'd have written that one. Yeah, I wish you had. Yeah, sorry, psychology of well-being. Yes, um, the the impact here is is on what truth really means, and the re- the reason this 
came to you via a PR company is because this is an invention to sell holidays. Yeah. Really. This is something that a holiday, you know, travel firms or dreamt up to try and sell some holidays because you're miserable. So that must mean you want to go and buy something. But it's really stuck, hasn't it? I don't know how long ago you were approached, but this this theory gets trotted out every year. I should have checked this. I think it was 2004, 2005. I should have looked at the email again. You see, what you think about it, on Christmas, you think about on Boxing Day. What do you get on Boxing Day? Holidays. What's it? What's in the supermarkets on Boxing Day? Easter eggs. Easter eggs. <laughs> so the idea is, is to get us to keep consuming. And it's to tap into this idea that, we you know, we've talked about seasonal effective disorder. The days are shorter. You know, we're, everybody's in debt because, you know, you've gone into debt over Christmas. You're probably all feeling a little bit overindulged as well. And, you know, you probably put on a few pounds. So all of these are important factors of why we might feel unhappy. But on Blue Monday every year, I, did, I go out and do something really happy uh, as my kind of two-fingered salute to them. And I think what it does, it's and, and some mental health charities are picking up on it now. I think it's more of a hindrance. It doesn't get people talking about mental health other times of the year. Christmas is particularly bad because people are alone. But the summer's particularly bad as well, because if people feel depressed in the summer, then they think, well, what have we got to, you know, what have we got to look forward to? And the answer is winter and grey skies. So summer is a particularly important area to look at for mental health because in the winter at least we know this you know we we know there's going to be spring and you know things look better in the spring sure um but where so where this impacts on on our particular theories of happiness is that we're very much interested in research-based evidence and techniques that can make people happier there are certain things that get trotted out and repeated because people have either misread the research or the research was done with a particular end goal in mind. So the end goal of, of this particular research was to find a date that people could say was Blue Monday so that they could sell some holidays. Yeah. So the, the reason behind the research is selling holidays. But not everybody will be aware of that, of course. No, of course not. And and, and a lot of the time it's reported in the press and they don't mention that anymore. Never. But it, it gives the idea that depression happens once a year and it's a very dangerous message. And I think what happens a lot is we, we live in this kind of message-dense world over communication and we need some way to filter that information. In other words, the phrase we've used is how to sift the science from the snake oil. Now, this is definitely snake oil. In one of our episodes on stress, we noticed that, or we discussed, that when we're stressed, higher level functions switch off because we go into survival mode. So if you are feeling down, this might seem like a tempting thing, or I'll, you know, I'll book a holiday, or I'll do something that's very uh, transient to fix the problem. A couple of weeks in Marbella might not fix your problems and might give you more debt. Yeah. It's a bit like people who've got credit card debt. They get the bill and it's horrendous. So they go out and have some retail therapy to fix the, the negative emotions associated with debt. Yeah, these are short-term fixes that, yeah. that might kind of lift your mood at, at some point, but further down the line, they're going to create problems for you potentially. So you're still going to be in the, the cycle. But, but more importantly... Blue Monday is something we see repeated year on year, and and now it, it's become a date in the calendar that we're all familiar with. But it's based on a falsehood. Yes, it's based on a, a, an item, a, a period of research that was done with a particular aim in mind. And there's there's a lot of this kind of thing, and it, it's it's almost how do you dig 
to the bottom of things. It's, you know, in the early days um, of tobacco being deemed as being bad for you, smoking being bad for you, certain companies did some research, say, oh, no, it's not that bad. But if, if you were able to dig far enough into that research, which most people were not, you know, you found that it was funded by British American Tobacco or one of the tobacco companies yeah. to kind of, you know, to, to sell, essentially carry on selling cigarettes. So you need to understand who gains from this research. You know, that's that's what I'm always interested in. Whenever I hear a conspiracy theory, I always think to myself, well, that's all well and good, but who gains from this information being widespread? Yes. When we're talking about trusting information, we ask ourselves, whose knowledge is it? From what perspective is it created? Where and when was it created? What's the context? Who's the evidence made for? What are the motives? What are the effects? What are the alternatives? And what does it do for us? Uh, What's the spin-offs? So what we tend to do, we talked about last time as using schemata, these scripts as like a a way to simplify the world. And trust is another filter that we use. So we can't read every newspaper and we can't read every journal. So we have our trusted go-to sources and ones that we avoid like the plague. And of course, avoid like the plague now has become a meaningless phrase because over the past what? Two years. Two years, people are going, run to the plague, Carolan, run to the plague. <laughs> you know, it's almost as if people are, you know, inviting it rather than repelling it. What we, we talk about the, the age we're in is a post-truth age yeah. where feelings are more important than facts. So if, if something feels right, it's true or it's true enough. So when we deal with happiness, because happiness is an emotion, the temptation is more likely that we're going to seek out maybe an emotional solution. And and maybe a rational solution seems a little bit odd and a little bit clinical. I did some, you saw in the book, I did some stuff about uh, people who reject medical advice. And one of the reasons is, is that people tend to prefer stories to hard, cold, abstract research outcomes and statistics and emotions play a really strong part in also in whether we reject advice. So if we're angry, we're not going to accept advice. And thinking about fake news, fake news tends to spark strong emotions. And we're more likely to share those because also fake news is novel. So we can see how all this dodgy knowledge. So the, the idea of Blue Monday, you know, it was at the time it was novel and it was, oh, it's so shocking. And, and it seems insightful. So people are more likely to share it, and then it becomes a thing which never was. I think that's a, it. Does it does appear insightful? That is the thing. Yes. You, know, you can see the rationale behind it, which is even worse. You know, most of the time with things that are fake news or conspiracies, or you know, you see people sharing that you instantly disbelieve. Most of the time, you can't see the rationale, but here you can. You know, you can very definitely see. Oh yeah, it's five weeks till you know since I got paid. It's another week until I get paid. It's dark at three o'clock. You know, yeah, of course, of course, I'm depressed. Because you know? what we do is when when we at this emotional level of processing, because there's like two levels of knowledge. There's an intuitive one, where's emotional one, and then there's one where we have to test it out. And what happens, certainly with fake news and conspiracy theories, is there's a confirmation bias. So we don't seek out the things that disprove it. We only seek out the evidence that proves it. 
So we, we look for stack. Oh, yeah, that does make sense because look at this and look at this. And you can see that the blue blundy thing has all the hallmarks of a conspiracy theory. It's how it's perpetuated mm. and it's how it's repeated. And people say, yeah, I'm always depressed. And people give stories and people prefer stories to facts and figures. Mm. So the whole idea of trust, I did, I, I've lost it now, but I, Hang on. I, I did have a quote from the Dalai Lama. Have you, have you backed now, it up? Oh, well, now, I've got a quote, and it's quite interesting. And the Dalai, the Dalai Lama, and somebody says, the Dalai Lama's not evidence-based. And I'm like, you call him the Dalai Lama a liar. And that shuts them up. Yeah. And he says, the only thing that will bring happiness is affection and warm-heartedness. This really brings inner strength and self-confidence, reduces fear, and develops trust, and trust brings friendship. We are social animals and cooperation is necessary for our survival. But cooperation is entirely based on trust. When there is trust, people are brought together. Whole nations are brought together. And God knows we've needed a bit of trust over the past two years. We certainly have. And trust is in short supply. And I I think that filter that you mentioned, there's no question that we could talk for hours and hours and hours and give us the opportunity we will. But we could talk for hours about fake news and and what these things do to our state of mind and and what they're trying to do to us, pitch us against one another, culture wars, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I think that filter that you mentioned of thinking, what does it do for us is actually really useful. So, you know, if you, you read something today that, or tomorrow even if you're, you're listening to this on the day of release and you think, well, you know, what does that information do for me? Yeah. Does it embolden me? Does it make me a little bit happier? Does it make me feel, oh, no, you know, everybody's miserable today, so I've got to be miserable as well. You know, it What does it do like for you? And more importantly, what do you do with it? So yes. the whole idea of trusting healthcare and well-being is important. We might think that uh, being kind of distrustful or wary is a survival strategy, but there's been lots of research to suggest that it can have a negative impact on psychology and uh, our physical well-being. So people with this generalised lower trust of others tend to be more cynical, they tend to lack social support, and they're less likely to accept medical advice. They have got a shorter life expectancy. So being distrustful of everything can actually be quite harmful to us. And it's quite difficult to see how you can be happily distrustful of everything Mm. because you're just looking for threats. So it's a survival strategy rather than a thrive one. Yeah, but in, in, in some respects, there's things so, you know, we should be distrusting the Blue Monday theory. Oh, of course. Yes. You know, so, that there, so there's an element of trust and an element of distrust. You know, you've got to, is this is this trying to make me more miserable and for what purpose? To buy things, to carry on consuming, says he with the, the uh, chair creaking, or, or is this trying to do something good for me, actually at a physical, personal, you know, emotional level? Well, there's a, there's a fine line, isn't there, between sceptical. I mean, we didn't call it happiness a cynic's guide because that would be a very, very different no. thing. It would be quite even more dour. Uh, But the idea is to be healthily sceptical of stuff is very different to being cynical because the cynic is just rejecting. I mean, cynicism used to be a philosophical standpoint. Now it's just just deny everything. Yeah, I hear where you're going with that. So it made me think about, uh, there's a psychologist called Eric Erickson, and he developed the eight ages of man or eight ages of humans. It's like the stage um, theory. Parents have a sense of humour. Oh, my phone's ringing. Sorry, the door was closed, but now it's open and then the phone started ringing. Sorry. It's it's all going at Flower Towers today, isn't it? 
<laughs> right, and he comes up with this stage theory, and the, he argues that in infancy we actually develop, start to develop our sense of how our needs are going to be met in terms of the world. So he talks about basic trust being a general sense of correspondence between one's needs and the world's ability to deliver them in some way. And so basic mistrust is a readiness to re- see danger. So according to Erickson, getting our needs met can leave us kind of hopeful or it can leave us withdrawn. So we can see there are the seeds for optimism and pessimism. Uh, and it might we, we might like to see that as a character trait. But in a future episode, we need to look at the idea of learnt optimism and how we can tell a different stories of optimism, how we can view it as an explanatory style. So far from being hardwired, we can actually start to make some headway. We, we don't have to be a pessimist. We don't, ha- you know, we can be more optimistic. Mm. Uh, but it goes right back to our needs. And you think about well-being is about how our resources match the challenges. Stress is the same kind of thing. So they all yeah. tend to link. And there's a reason it will become obvious why I've mentioned uh, Ericsson. One, because... Because he's got the world's greatest name. Uh, his cousin is David Davidson, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Magnus Magnusson's his uncle. <laughs> yes, of course. So I talked about earlier on about two levels of knowledge. There's intuitive knowledge with our feelings and emotions. And then there's the more experimental knowledge, uh, if we, if in scientific terms. And yeah. so the o- automatic one is, you know, we'll come up with a hypothesis. We'll come up with a theory. Now, if we stay in that level of intuitive emotional thinking, we'll just cherry pick the evidence to support it. Mm. If we become a bit more skeptical and a bit more scientific, We'll do a bit of trial and error. We'll test that out. We'll do things. I think the problem is that, the, you know, we don't pause and think, do we? We, you know, we have to take mental shortcuts. Otherwise, you know, your life yeah. would be full of like pauses and, and, and stuttering. But, you know, it, we do kind of leap to conclusions. And that that's part of, of all of us, I think. It is. And when we're on, on social media, it tends to happen a lot. So when we notice that something fires up an emotion and if it's often a negative emotion often people will just click on it and it's almost like you've done something i've shared it that's if it's an if it's a strong emotional reaction that is a cue to tell you to take a pause so it's almost like social distance social media distancing you know put in a bit mm. of cognitive distance think about it maybe check it out a bit yeah. that that's the alarm bell when it when it's when it when it seems very new and it also fires up things like anger or disgust Go away from it, pause, then think about it. Don't just accept that as a, a piece of evidence that fits your hypothesis or conspiracy theory or pet I think that's theory. a good good way of coming around cyclically to say, if you're thinking of, of sharing something about Blue Monday, have a think about it first. And can I just say, I thought I heard you speak. Tell me, how do I feel? Tell me now, how should I feel? That's, well, that's taking me words away. It's like having Wordsworth in the room. <laughs> Rather than Bernard Sumner, sadly. So, so if we can just sum this up, how to make happiness stick is experiment, try things out, be prepared to overturn your assumptions, be prepared to be surprised. Don't go for the default cherry-picking evidence that's going to you know, support your existing scripts. Uh, we always need to guard against with that. Always 
go with something that will test your assumptions rather than automatically confirm them. Very true. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Happiness, A Skeptic's Guide. If you have, tell your friends, share it amongst them, share it around. This is something you can share without thinking too much about it because we are sceptical. This has been Paul Flower and Dr. Gary Wood. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and even Instagram. Who knows? And if you like, you can buy us a coffee. You can find the links on our social media. (laughs) Does your phone ring? Yes. It's the calendar to tell me I'm supposed to be recording a podcast. (laughs) Thanks. That was and is Happiness, a Skeptic's Guide with Paul Flower and me, Gary Wood. In this episode, we explore truth, trust and happiness. And next time, we look at techniques to plan for best future selves. If you like the podcast, please remember to like, follow and tell your friends.